your Locked on the New York Rangers, your daily podcast on the New York Rangers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, Blue Shirts fans, to episode number 474 of the Locked On New York Rangers podcast. I'm your host, John Chick. Just want to thank you guys for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. That song you're hearing right now is, of course, Leave the Lights On from our good friends in Pacifier. You can check those guys out anywhere you get your music. And as much as I would love to start today's episode by, you know, waxing poetic about the Rangers' fourth consecutive victory, a win that brought their record to 10-3-3, defeating the Montreal Canadiens last night, Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden, a game that the Rangers played very well and uh, I think beat them by a greater margin than the final score would indicate. As much as I would love to start by just diving into all the specifics from that game and uh, breaking down everything that happened there, I think we got to put that on the back burner for the start of today's episode and begin by talking about Sammy Blay being lost for the season. To me, that's kind of the bigger of the two stories, even though it's obviously the sadder of the two stories as well, uh, but just really, really unfortunate. You know, Sammy Blay was becoming a very trusted, very reliable player for this New York Ranger team, somebody who's role on the New York Rangers had expanded by leaps and bounds in a very short amount of time. He ends up only playing uh, 14 games for the Rangers this season, assuming that he is done for the year. He has a torn ACL thanks to a dirty hit from a dirty player in P.K. Subban. And I'm going to strike a much different tone today than I did when Subban slew-footed Ryan Reeves in the preseason because at the time, during the preseason, I was willing to give Subban the benefit of the doubt. A lot of Ranger fans and a lot of hockey analysts did not do the same thing at that time. A lot of people were calling for, you know, a hefty fine, a suspension, the whole nine yards. For me, I wanted to at least leave open the possibility that maybe Subban was just kind of careless on that play where he took out Reeves. Maybe he lost his balance a little bit. I don't know. But I wasn't going to go so far as to call him a dirty player at the time because I didn't 100% believe that to be true at the time. Uh, certainly, Subban, his reputation kind of precedes him. He's always been a, a giant pain in the butt to play against, but that does not inherently make him a dirty player. He's an antagonizer. Those guys exist in the NHL, and not every single one of them are dirty players. And up until this season, I probably would have said the same thing about P.K. Subban. However, four slewfoots later... Four slewfoots later, yes, P.K. Subban is a dirty player. I have no issue coming on here and saying that uh, definitively. He got Ryan Reeves in the preseason. He got Milan Lucic and Trevor Zegras in the regular season. And now he gets Sammy Blay. He tears his ACL, and he puts him out for the whole season on what was just a complete garbage play. But, you know, I've already done Sammy Blay a bit of an injustice by talking about P.K. Subban before Blay himself. We'll get back to Subban in due time here. But first, I just want to talk about Blay. Once again, he is out for the season Although, I do want to make a point to kind of stop short of factually 100% declaring him out for the entire season because as we've seen in the past, guys, uh, hockey players are definitely cut from a different cloth. A uh, recent example that kind of springs to mind for me, we saw Oscar Lindblom of the Flyers ruled out for the season when he was battling a form of bone cancer. Next thing you know, he comes back for the Flyers game six and game seven against the Islanders in the playoffs that year. He's out there playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs after being ruled out due to, once again, having bone cancer. So that's a tremendously inspirational story in and of itself. And this is obviously different from that, but 
Again, I, I can never completely rule out a hockey player. No matter what the doctors say and no matter what the timetable might be, I can never like 100% factually state like there's no chance that this guy's going to come back because Blay, if you do some math here, which is always a risky proposition on this podcast, but he was given a recovery timetable uh, of six to eight months after this injury. So again, doing some quick math, six months from now, we're in the middle of November, that would be the middle of May, at which point the Stanley Cup playoffs will be just underway. Now, obviously, the Rangers would have to make the playoffs first, but I don't think I want to sit here and say 100% there's no chance we see Sammy Blake come back for the New York Rangers at any point this season. I would say certainly it's unlikely, given that once again, it's a torn ACL. And when you look at the timetable that he's been given, but again, we've seen hockey players do some pretty amazing things, uh, not the least of which is beating their timetable uh, as far as when they can make it back from an injury. But if this indeed is the end of the road for Sammy Blay this season, then he finishes with 14 games played, no goals, four assists. He was a plus three overall. He averaged 13 minutes and 27 seconds of ice time, which is a new career high. Got to figure that number was probably only going to increase because as I was talking about a minute ago, Sammy Blaze's role has done nothing but expand since he's been on the New York Rangers, since the start of this season, really. So yeah, I mean, I think that we probably would have seen that 13 minutes and 27 seconds average ice time increase as the season progressed here. Uh, Blay also finishes with 37 hits and eight blocked shots. So you know, the offensive stats, they don't necessarily jump off the page, but Blay very quickly kind of built himself a reputation as a consistent, reliable, physical player for this New York Ranger team. Someone who is very versatile. He can play the left wing or the right wing. We've seen him. It, keep in mind, we're only 14 games into the season here, or, or Sammy Blay's only played 14 games. We've seen him on all four lines at various points even this early in the season. We're only into the middle of November here. Uh, he started on the fourth line, the left wing, uh, but I'm not so sure he was ever going to go back down to the fourth line had he been able to play this entire season for the Rangers. And that's nothing against the fourth line, but I feel like Blake kind of graduated from that role. His role, once again, it already expanded significantly just 14 games into his first season with his new team. And when this injury happened, this apparent season-ending injury, Blay was out there on the top line with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider, and it seemed like Gallant was comfortable with that trio. It seemed like Blay might have been ticketed for that top line uh, going forward for the foreseeable future. Obviously, injuries are going to happen, and you know you never know when a team might need a little bit of a shakeup, but I think Blay would have kept going out there pretty much night in and night out on that top line on the right wing spot with Mika and with Kreider. Uh, you know, Blay brings a lot to the table. He does a great job at being a net front presence. He's six foot two, two 210 pounds, so, I mean, good luck if you're a defenseman trying to move him out of the crease. And Blay had also carved out a role for himself on the second power play unit. Now, obviously, the second power play unit does not play nearly as much as the top unit, but nevertheless, it's another role that Blay played for this team. And just someone who was seemingly becoming a very popular member of the New York Ranger locker room. We talked about that recent nickname that had been bestowed upon him, uh, Sammy the Bull, which I think is just absolutely fantastic. Gotta love that. But just seemed like he was very well liked by his teammates. And the biggest play that he made for the Rangers this season, as far as, you know, offense is concerned, he assisted on a game-winning goal by Alexi Lafreniere earlier this season. Just a phenomenal pass. It was a short pass, but he had to move the puck very quickly, and he had a very small window to put it through. And I will say this, guys, if the Rangers end up making the playoffs, and as I've said all along, I do think it could end up being a, a bit of a photo finish with this Ranger team. I think they get in, but I don't think that they clinch with more than like two or three games left in the season. You know, that's kind of what I said coming in, and I'm going to stick with that for now, even though uh, the Rangers are sitting pretty in the standings right now. But if the Rangers end up making the playoffs by a point, two points, remember that play by Sammy Blay, because he gets a pass from the corner, he's up the center of the ice, and... 
the goalie's about to poke it away, and he's got a defense and closing in on him, and he's got a really, really small window to fit it through to get it over to Alexi Lafreniere, and of course, Lafreniere tapped it in from the doorstep, but just an excellent play by Blay there. And again, all these points count. They all matter. We know how competitive it is. We know how tight the standings are going to be at the end of the season. So if the Rangers, once again, if they get in by a point or two, remember that play by Sammy Blay, even though, you know, by then he will have gone several months without playing hockey with this New York Ranger team. We will continue talking about this in just a second, but first, I just want to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by Bilt Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats, and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. It is the perfect time for Bilt Bars. Bilt Bar is the new holiday dessert. Feast on something delicious and feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories, and that's on the low end. Most Built Bars are only 130 calories and only 4 to 5 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut Built Bar, or go for a raspberry Built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. Low calorie, low carb, low fat, high protein, covered in 100% real chocolate. Built is a great option for you when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a Built Bar or two. New surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly, so check the site often. There is nothing like a Built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendars. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com. And just want to thank you guys once again for making Locked On New York Rangers your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. As far as Sammy Blay's future with the Rangers, he is wrapping up a two-year, $3 million deal. He will be a restricted free agent next season at the age of 26. I get the feeling the Rangers will definitely look to keep him in the fold. We haven't seen him last play his last game, excuse me, with the New York Rangers. But it just sucks because above everything else, you feel for Sammy Blay the individual because this is what he does. And he has a season of his career taken away from him because of a cheap, dirty hit by a dirty player. And what does the NHL do about this? What's their response to a player that has committed four slew foots in the span of less than five weeks? Do you think they would step in, send some kind of a message to P.K. Subban, let him know that this kind of behavior is not going to be tolerated? If that is what you think, then I think you give this league a little too much credit. Because I think the worst part about this whole ordeal is that as I sit here right now and as you guys sit there listening to this, I don't think that too many of us are probably all that surprised that the NHL player of department safety once again dropped the ball and did not do anything about this. He's got four slew foots. I cannot emphasize that point enough. Once again, I gave him the benefit of the doubt when he took down Reeves four slew foots later. I'm not giving him any benefit of any doubt. He was fined $5,000 for the slew foot against Milan Lucic and another $15,000 for the slew foot against Trevor Zegras. Uh, the one against Zegras was actually the most egregious. If you haven't had a chance to watch this one, uh, go check it out on YouTube. You can find it pretty easily. Subban basically winds his leg back and kicks forward into the back of Zegras's, you know, skate like he's attempting a 50-yard field goal. It's so bad. And the idea that the NHL, people that actually work for the NHL in very prominent, very important positions, took a look at that and said, no, nah, that's okay. I really don't think he needs to be suspended for that. Absolutely ridiculous, uh, just a pitiful job by the NHL Department of Player Safety. And so for these four slew foots, P.K. Subban has been fined a grand total of just $20,000 and has not been suspended. Um, I don't know if the NHL is aware of this, but for a guy making $9 million a year, finding him $20,000 for four slew foots is not really going to send much of a message. It's not really going to make much of a dent in his income. It's not really going to give him much incentive to change or to stop doing this. 
And again, that's the worst part. That, that's the part that I keep going back to is that it's not even surprising when they just screw up royally as they have once again here. Uh, one other thing that I want to address, actually, there's a couple more things, but the next one is Ryan Reeves because I know a lot of Ranger fans were, were kind of upset about Reeves not going after P.K. Subban during the Ranger game against the Devils here after Subban had taken out Sammy Blay and after he had taken out Ryan Reeves in the preseason. I understand why Reeves didn't go after P.K. Subban here because the Rangers were in a 2-2 tie game in the third period, maybe about 10 or 12 minutes to go. The Rangers really wanted to win that game. It was a high-intensity clash against a division rival, a game that you really want to come out with two points, and lo and behold, it ends up being the Rangers' most exciting win of the season. And I don't have the exact quote in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. I know Reeves was asked about it after the game, and he said something like, Subban's not going to fight anyway, so what am I going to do? Like, go over and cross-check him in the head and, you know, take a penalty, and now we're shorthanded in a tie game in the third period? Reeves didn't want to do that. Uh, He said that at that point, he was looking to, you know, maybe try to catch him with his head down and just lay a big hit on him. So that works for me in this game. But I think the next time that the Rangers and the Devils play each other, somebody 100% must go after P.K. Subban. Now, to Reeves' point, uh, P.K. Subban, Reeves didn't say this, but I'm saying this, P.K. Subban is completely gutless and doesn't have the stones to fight somebody, despite, you know, taking people out with slew foots left and right. And we saw that in the preseason. The proof was in the pudding because he took out Reeves in that game. Kreider tried to fight him in the second period and Subban just refused to to drop his gloves. Kreider's kind of Kreider's got him by the jersey and he's shaking him back and forth and yelling at him and trying to get him to drop his gloves. Subban won't do it. Now Subban and Kreider did fight in the third period, but they basically just fell to the ice, so not really much of anything happened there. So I can understand Reeves and the Rangers in general in this most recent clash against the Devils not wanting to go after PK Subban and not wanting to put their team in a compromised spot, you know, that being shorthanded in a really critical spot in the game. But the Rangers and Devils, they don't play each other until March. I believe March 4th is the day. Every single player on the New York Rangers should be circling that date on their calendar, and somebody has to go after P.K. Subban during that game, right from the start, first period. Don't wait any longer than that. The first time Subban's on the ice, somebody needs to jump him. Think uh, think Brennan Smith jumping Tom Wilson last season. That's pretty much what it has to be. And I see Reeves' point that you know Subban's not going to drop the gloves. He's not going to fight him. You know what? The Rangers give P.K. Subban a fair warning before this game starts, during the warmups or whatever it might be, whether it's Kreider, whether it's Reeves, whether it's anybody else on this Ranger team. Somebody has to say to P.K. Subban during the warmups or whatever it might be, I am fighting you this game. My gloves are dropping, and I'm going to start throwing punches. And if you don't drop your gloves and you don't fight back, you don't try to defend yourself, you try to avoid the fight, that's on you because the punches are coming, so you better be ready for it. That's what needs to happen the next time the Rangers play the Devils. I am willing to give Ryan Reeves and the rest of the Rangers the benefit of the doubt here, and honestly, I agree with them. I'm not just giving them the benefit of the doubt here. I actually agree with their strategy to not attack P.K. Subban during the end of a competitive game between division rivals in the last matchup here. But that goes out the window when these two teams are playing each other in March and it's the first period and the game is scoreless. Somebody needs to go after him. Somebody needs to uh, basically let the fist fly. And I don't come on here and advocate for senseless violence, but this has to change. The league doesn't want to step in. The league doesn't want to do anything. The league doesn't want to discipline P.K. Subban. And he's now taken out two of our guys. He could have potentially ended the season of two of our players because that could have been a lot worse what happened to Ryan Reeves. The way he fell on that play, the way he kind of bent backward and his skate got caught in the ice and, you know, his leg just kind of twisted. I was fearful that Ryan Reeves might be out for the season when that happened. And we now know that PK, uh, excuse me, that uh, Sammy Blay is going to be out for the season, or at least that's the diagnosis. So uh, something needs to happen here. 
And I will, again, defend the Rangers' decision not to attack Subban in this most recent game, but it absolutely must happen the next time these two teams are playing each other. And one last thing that I wanted to talk about here before we uh, move on to the Rangers defeating the Canadians last night is this was kind of creating some buzz on social media. Apparently, former NHL referee Tim Peel, who was, you know, the quote-unquote hot mic official who ended up getting fired for basically saying that he was looking to, uh, you know, call a penalty on a certain team, it you know, admitted that it probably wasn't a penalty, but he was looking to call one on them regardless. Uh, this is what he had to say about the entire situation. He actually stepped up to defend P.K. Subban. This is what Tim Peel had to say. I can unequivocally say that P.K. Subban is not a dirty player. I talked to P.K., and he told me this is just a bad habit that has crept into his game. I refereed him, and I know him personally, and I can guarantee he is not trying to intentionally hurt, play, hurt any player. And what an absolute load of bullshit this is. I mean, let's really think about this here. A bad habit creeping into your game. I'm sure we have a lot of people listening to this that formerly played a sport. Maybe you're currently playing a sport. Whatever it might be, uh, baseball is always the sport that I played more than any other. I'm still fortunate enough to get to play in a summer baseball league every season. Um, you know, I'm 35 years old. P.K. Subban is 32 years old. I, at the age of 32, did not suddenly, while playing baseball, have this bad habit creep into my game where suddenly every single time that I slide into second base, I spike the middle infielder that's covering the bag. This is not a bad habit that has suddenly uh, mysteriously crept into my game. Uh, some of you listening to this might be basketball players, and I don't know a whole ton about basketball, but I do know that one of the dirtiest things you can do in a basketball game is to have somebody up in the air, and then the opponent uh, puts their feet underneath them and causes them to land on their feet, which can obviously you know, roll ankles, do a lot of damage to the, the foot area there. Have any of you that play basketball, have any of you suddenly just picked up this, this bad habit of doing that to players? Every single time they're in the air, you stick your foot underneath them? Or, or how about football? I mean, we can use a lot of different examples for football, but is there anybody out there who suddenly has this bad habit of, I don't know, gouging people's eyes at the bottom of a pile? Probably not. Probably not. Um, and for you hockey players, is anybody else, is anybody listening to this? Anybody that currently plays hockey, maybe high school or college, or anybody who formerly played hockey, maybe you even have some minor league hockey players listening to this. We may have some professional hockey players listening to this. Who knows? But have any of you suddenly just found this bad habit of slew-footing people creeping into your game? It's absolute nonsense. I mean, you know what? There's no point in even elaborating on this any further because I, I think the point has been made, and I think any rational person would agree that slew-footing somebody is not a bad habit. You know, there are bad habits in sports, but this is not one of them. This is just a cheap, dirty play any way you slice it. Slew-footing will never not be a cheap, dirty play. So that's all I have to say on the matter, and we will talk about the Rangers' win over the Canadians in just a second here. But first, I just wanted to let you guys know that today's episode of Locked On New York Rangers is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. We are back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, so like I said, I think it was really important to address the injury to Sammy Blay and just talk about everything that happened, or rather what didn't happen regarding the NHL player of Department Safety and P.K. Subban, but 
you know, we do have a little bit of time left, so I want to dive into this New York Ranger 3-2 win over the Montreal Canadiens last night. It's fun to finally get to the good stuff here, that's for sure. Um, for the Rangers, four wins in a row. They now have points in seven of their last eight games, and Filipino returned to the lineup. So that was obviously a sight for sore eyes, especially with uh, Sammy Blay now being out for the season. He goes back to his familiar third-line center role. I still would like to see him on the wing, but it seems like the Rangers are committed to uh, making him a center uh, come hell or high water. And I thought he looked really good in this game. Uh, you kind of just hope that he can join the party along with Lafreniere and Kako and, you know, Julian Gauthier got to go in this in this game. You hope these young players can really start to get it going for the New York Rangers. But Hedo was really good. The Rangers had a uh, very brief power play. It only lasted 20 seconds, but Artemi Panarin made a great cross-ice pass for Philip Hedo, and Hedo put it just wide of the net. He also, uh, later in the first period, stole the puck, and the shot was saved. But then he got the puck back, threw another shot at the net, and it was stopped yet again. So Hedl kind of buzzing, creating some opportunities early in this game. And then uh, Julian Gauthier scored a goal in the third period to boost the Ranger lead to 3-1. to one, And Hedl will not get an assist on this play, not officially, but he definitely helped out here. Uh, Gauthier stole the puck. Phenomenal play by Gauthier, by the way. Like I said, I've always been intrigued by him. I'm still not completely giving up on Julian Gauthier. I'd like to see him eventually uh, develop into at least, you know, a solid, steady third-line player for the New York Rangers, which I think is at least somewhat in reach. And again, it's horrible what happened to Sammy Blay. It sucks that he's out for the entire season, but uh, Julian Gauthier, you know, maybe he can um, claim a bigger role for himself because the Rangers have been thin at right wing to begin with, and even Blay himself was a left wing playing right wing, but maybe this opens a door for Julian Gauthier to contribute a little bit more uh, for this team. But anyway, he steals the puck here and basically just backhands it into the net while falling to the ice. Uh, so Gauthier was all over Suzuki, but Hedl helped out a little bit here. Hedl kind of pressured Suzuki as well, and, and Hedl never touched the puck, so unfortunately he doesn't get a helper for his troubles, uh, but nevertheless uh, definitely contributed to uh, Gauthier scoring this goal here. And then uh, he came within an eyelash of scoring later in this game. The Rangers were up 3-2 at the time, and uh, Hedl made a really strong drive to the net coming up the right side, uh, went across the crease, and lifted his shot right off the crossbar and uh, away from the net. So unfortunately, he missed scoring in his first game back by mere inches there, but uh, Philip Hedl looking really good in his return to the lineup. I think he did more... Probably did as well or better as any of us could have hoped for, for a guy that had missed some time here. So uh, obviously, very, very nice to see. And the only other lineup change besides, uh, obviously, Phil Hedl coming back to the lineup and going back to his familiar third-line center spot was Barclay Goodrow moves from the third-line center spot up to the right wing on the top line. And I'm okay with this. I thought maybe Lafreniere might get a look up there. Maybe you would move Lafreniere up to the left wing spot on the top line. You move Kreider over to the right side on that same line. Uh, but it seems like Gallant, at least for the time being, likes to have a big physical player on that top line to sort of complement the skill of Mika and Kreider. Obviously, Sammy Blay has found a home for himself there before, you know, everything that happened with him and P.K. Subban. And now Barclay Goodrow, who previously this season had spent a little bit of time on the first line, he's back up there. So that's how they're going to roll for now. And um, we got to talk about Capo Caco as well. Second straight game where I thought he was the best player on the ice. He was absolutely buzzing in this game, as was the entire Panarin line. And they... Contributed for the first goal of the game. You had a great pass from Strom to Panarin. Uh, Panarin delayed with the puck a little bit. He was in front of the net there. He eventually shot and was stopped, but the puck went back to Panarin. He corrals it, centers it for Capo Caco, and Caco scores from the slot area, takes advantage of uh, a pretty empty net there, and it's one nothing Rangers. Uh, you could tell Panarin and Strom really want to get Caco going. Strom's always talking to him on the bench, and Panarin, we know how pass-first he can be to begin with, and he saw Caco there, and he was going to put it right on the tape for him, which is what he did, sets him up for an easy tap-in goal. And 
you know, we've talked about this in the past. Panarin and Strom have kind of been in lockstep ever since they both came to the Rangers, really. They've always pretty much been on the same line together. You know, occasionally they'll split them up, but for the most part, those two are on the same line. And we've seen guys like Jesper Foss and Phil DiGiuseppe and Colin Blackwell really take advantage of playing with those guys. And no offense to any of those players, because I like all three of them a lot. None of them have the raw skill, the raw ability of Capo Caco. So imagine if Caco can really find his confidence, what he can do out there with Strom and uh, and Panarin. And it leads me to something else that I want to talk about. I think that for the most part this season, Gerard Gallant has done a good job handling Capo Caco and Alexi Lafreniere. And to kind of dive into what I mean by that, with Caco, I feel like sometimes confidence can be a little bit of an issue with him. And I don't know him personally. I don't know Lafreniere personally, but... Uh, they're both very young, but I think they both kind of uh, carry themselves in different ways. Kako's the guy that I think he needs his coach to stand by him. I think he needs his coach to throw his arm around him every now and then. This is just for me listening to these guys in interviews and watching the way that, you know, they interact with their teammates and how they carry themselves on the ice. But I think Kako is the guy that kind of needs the coach to kind of play the good cop role, so to speak, and kind of pump them up a little bit. And so I think leaving Kako on that line with Panarin and Strom is good for Kako's confidence. And we've seen it start to pay pay dividends over these past couple of games here. And on top of that, I mean, if you don't put Kako on the second line right wing spot, who are you going to put there? I mean, especially with Sammy Blay now out for the season. So that might be part of it too. But I think Gallant did a, a good job sticking with Kako and uh, leaving him out there with two premier players in Strom and in Panarin who can get him going. Now with Lafreniere, I think we've seen a couple of times this season where Gallant has really kind of challenged him. Lafreniere to me, you know, again, just watching him, the way he conducts himself, the way he speaks in interviews and things like that, I don't think he's somebody that's ever really going to be lacking for confidence. Even when the points aren't necessarily there, I think he just really, really believes himself and really, really expects himself to go out there and contribute in a big way to help this New York Ranger team, even if he hasn't done so all that much in recent games. And so I think with Lafreniere, it's a situation where the coach can challenge him a little bit. And we we heard Gallant earlier this season, uh, you know, he didn't crush him or anything like that, but there was a post-game presser where he mentioned, you know, I expect a little bit more out of Alexi Lafreniere. We saw him for just the one game be demoted to the fourth line, which I didn't like. I just don't want to see Lafreniere cackle on the fourth line anymore. But I think for one game, you know, it kind of sent the message a little bit. And Lafreniere came back and scored a goal in the Rangers' second most recent game. And I think overall has looked a little bit better recently. And right now, Lafreniere is still in a bottom six role. He's still on that third line. I think eventually, if he continues to kind of build on what he's done so far this season, if he continues to get better, if he takes some steps forward, you will see Gallant reward him by putting him up on the top line with Kreider and with Mika Zibanejad. But Gallant's going to make Lafreniere earn it. I really think he's going to make him earn it. For the time being, I think he's fine with putting Barclay Goodrow up there. And you know Goodrow doesn't care. Goodrow will play on any line, at any position, with any two other forwards. So Goodrow right now might be something of a placeholder for Lafreniere. Or maybe not. Maybe Lafreniere catches fire on the third line with Gautier and with Filipino. That line looked good in this in this most recent game uh, against the Canadians here. So that's possible too. Maybe Lafreniere is there for, for longer than we might think. But it's nice to have options. And I, I got to say, I do have to give credit to Gallant because I think he's handled... Caco and Lafreniere very well, especially when you consider, you know, their personalities and how they carry themselves on the ice out there. We got a couple minutes left, so there's a couple other things I just wanted to hit on real quick here. Uh, Ryan Reeves gets into his first fight of the season. He absolutely wrecked Bassetta, who for some reason challenged Reeves to a fight after Reeves hit him. And, you know, there was a lot of posturing. They were kind of just sizing each other up for a minute. And then Reeves basically just started raining down right hands and uh, won this fight decisively. I mean, props to Bassetta, I guess, for 
Uh, having the fortitude to challenge Ryan Reeves. I really don't know what this was about, though. It was a clean hit by Reeves. is uh, new to the NHL, so maybe he's trying to make a good impression on his teammates. But to this point in the game, this was not really a chippy, nasty game uh, at all. So to see a fight just break out randomly was somewhat surprising. Uh, but hey, you know, Ryan Reeves doing what he does best and uh, just wrecking his opponent here. So that was obviously really nice. We also talked about the other two Ranger goals, so I figure we, we talked about the first and third one, so I figure we might as well talk about the second one here because this is a thing of beauty as well, the Rangers scoring in transition. And it's funny because right when I started to think that the top line had been a little quiet thus far in the game, I mean, nothing flagrant. You know, Kreider had a couple chances in the first period, but, you know, I don't know that they jumped off the screen, certainly in the way that the Panarin line did early in this game, but we get just an absolutely beautiful cross-ice pass from Mika Zibanejad to Chris Kreider right on the tape, another tipping goal for Chris Kreider. And this whole thing started because in the defensive zone, Truba laid a massive hit on his guy to kind of get things going in the opposite direction. And because of Benajad actually had a big hit too right after Truba had his hit. So the Rangers go in the opposite direction and uh, Mika feeds Kreider. And just like that, the Rangers get a 2-1 to lead and they were on top for good at that point. And I also kind of wanted to go to the big finish here because the Rangers were defending a 3-2 lead late in the third period, and they did a nice job doing so. And I got to talk about everything that happened between Gallagher and Barclay Goodrow. There was a face-off just outside of the Rangers zone, and there were 51 seconds left. Gallagher and Goodrow were exchanging words before the face-off, you know, before the puck dropped. And Gallagher then, you know, they both kind of fell forward because they were jostling for position and I'm sure looking to, you know, be physical with each other. And Gallagher then sucker punches Goodrow in the face after the puck drop. And Goodrow stayed down on the ice. They, everybody tried to go after Gallagher not too long after that. Gallagher gets a two-minute penalty for roughing, a 10-minute misconduct as well. So now the Rangers are on the power play with 27 seconds to go in the game. That also means that, you know, not only are the Canadians down a player, but the faceoff goes to the Montreal zone and the Rangers go with Fox, Truba, Mika, Panarin, and Kreider, which makes sense because you're trying to protect a, uh, a lead here. You want two defensemen on the ice. So they go with Fox and Truba. And they're working it around the perimeter. The Canadians eventually get it loose. They go up the ice. And uh, Anderson got a shot near the net, but put it wide. This is about seven or eight seconds remaining at this point. And then uh, Truba and Anderson come together in the corner. And Anderson sucker punches Truba. So we get two sucker punches from the Canadians in the last minute of the game here. And then... Truba says, hey, you want to do that? We're fighting. And Truba throws down his gloves. And, you know, I think Anderson dropped his gloves as well. Truba only had one glove off. He only had his right glove off, but he landed like two, three, four punches pretty solidly here and clearly won this fight and was drawn with him after uh, the game ended there. How do Ranger fans not like Jacob Truba? I mean, I know that most fans probably do, but you still see some Truba slander on Twitter every now and then. I know that a lot of people are fixated on that big contract and the fact that he doesn't get as many assists with the Rangers as he did with the Jets. The biggest reason for his tail off and assist, in my very humble opinion, is the simple fact that he's not going to play on the top power play unit with the Rangers because they've got this guy, Adam Fox. You've probably heard of him. He's pretty good at hockey. He's going to be the defenseman on the top man advantage unit. It's just that simple. And so Truba's assists naturally are going to go down. But I mean, to me, Truba is a tough, physical, old school guy, brings a lot of snarl. I mean, isn't this what Ranger fans want? This is what everybody was clamoring that the Rangers need more of, and it's what they did in this offseason. They added a bunch of new guys that bring in that toughness and bring in that grit and bring in that snarl, but Truba was somebody that was here all along. He was here uh, the previous season, previous two seasons, actually, so I just don't know. The people that talk bad about Truba, I'm not sure what they want from this guy. He's just a rock-solid defenseman and comes to play every night. And uh, somebody that is not to be messed with out there. I mean, he's going to protect himself, and he's going to lay people out if he gets the opportunity to do so. He does it cleanly, but 
He will let people out if the opportunity presents itself. But that will pretty much do it for today, guys. Once again, if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send an email to LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Once again, that is LockedOnNYRangers at gmail.com. Definitely give us a follow on Twitter as well, at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Once again, that is at LO underscore NY underscore Rangers. Thanks again, guys. I'll see you next time. Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling.